Hello, everyone, to the Michigan Film Vault podcast. I am your host, Nick Noel. And I am your other host, Matt Giles. Yes, we are, we are equals in terms of podcasting, at least, which means that we are basically garbage monsters. <laughs> um, is there a worse form of life than a podcaster, Matt? No, I don't think so. I think we're, we're jumping on the bandwagon late here. Yeah, like it's, uh, it's, it's basically like we're, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. I, I started without a metaphor in mind and now I have to bail. Um, I think it's below Instagram influencer though, right? Like, yeah, but depending on the person, I've heard people actually make money uh, and like have a decent living wage at doing podcasts. So let's hope that this turns into that. Um, that's not true. There's like <laughs> there's like eight guys, and then that's what, it. What it's is like, true in this day and age? I it's ask. like it's like Joe Rogan. Uh, maybe Adam Carolla, <laughs> Ben Shapiro. Uh, I, don't know, I feel like everything on Earwolf somehow makes money, and people who have podcasts on Earwolf do pretty well. So maybe we will Matt, be- we can't we can't get into podcasting for the money. Uh, <laughs> it's the dumbest thing anyone could ever do. We well, have that's to why do it- that's why I'm doing this podcast. Oh well, you are going to be disappointed. You're going to yeah. be very disappointed. Um, anyway, so we're doing, what is it? You're just grumbling now. Yeah. Um, it's for the listening audience so they can yeah. hear my grumbles. People want, so what people may not know about Matt is while I am a human, Matt is an anthropomorphic bear who exactly. comes from a magical candy land, uh, where they only watch movies and complain about how there's not enough honey. That was an elaborate story, but sure. I'll go with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. So what is this podcast about, you may be asking yourself, and that's an excellent question. We're going to be talking about movies, and specifically, we're going to be talking about movies filmed in Michigan, and the reason we're doing that is because we both live in Michigan, and there, at one point, was sort of a thriving film industry (laughs) until they kind of got rid of all the tax credits, and there's still some stuff going on, and I think it doesn't get talked about enough, and it seems like a, a good platform to discuss some of these these films that were shot here or maybe set here and and provide like a, a bigger platform for our large but often misunderstood peninsula. <laughs> yeah, um, I think the idea for it was just to have kind of a unique perspective on the movies that maybe were shot here or like you said, that are maybe set here. Um, for example, not to spoil upcoming uh, shows potentially, but a movie like RoboCop was not shot in Detroit. However, it w- Detroit is a major character in the movie. Uh, they actually shot it in Dallas. So we might be a little bit liberal with some of our picks, but the whole idea is to bring kind of like a Michigan perspective to movies that are, you know, set in and or shot in Michigan and you know, kind of give our takes on it and what we think. So what are we going to be talking about today, Matt? You you picked this movie um, against my wishes. So, <laughs> oh, man. my strenuous a... arguments against it. So oh, well, all why right. are we, well, what are we doing and why? So for our very first episode, we're off to a great start. Um, Shut up, Matt. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. And give the damn name of the fucking movie. <laughs> So it's an explicit podcast. We should preface with that. Yeah, I'm um, going to be masturbating this whole time. Well, and we just lost most of the listeners. 
The movie that we're going to be discussing today, I chose, was uh, It Follows. The movie from 2014, kind of a breakout uh, hit, if you will. That, uh, and I say breakout because it was kind of a, it was being talked about, but once it started playing at festivals, it kind of really took off and people, you know, like especially in Michigan, but kind of around the country from all the coverage that I was seeing, a lot of people were talking about this movie. I saw it at a film festival. Um, like my first experience uh, seeing it was at a film festival and I just really loved it. I thought it was kind of a unique spin on some old horror tropes. And the other thing that I really appreciated about it was that, you know, Detroit very much plays a character um, in the movie and it kind of adds mm -hmm. to, uh, I don't know, I guess the feeling of, of dread and suspense in it. So it really acts as a nice backdrop for what the characters are experiencing and this kind of fear that they have throughout. So I thought it would be a good uh, movie to discuss as our, as our first show since I assumed anyways that it would be one that we would both like where I know <laughs> in future installments we, uh, we might get into ones that we disagree on, but um, you know, that I, I love the movie, but tell me kind of your immediate uh, takeaways from it. Sure. Um, you know, I want to start with this fun little factoid is that It Follows came out after the movie It, the original. So yep. It Follows does in fact follow It, but then the remake of It came out after It Follows. So It Follows It Follows. So that's that's a fun thing for people to understand. And I think it really well, sets up the rest of the film. The isn't written ahead of time. <laughs> no, uh, this is all off the cuff and things I'm composing while you're talking instead of listening to you. That's perfect. So like, yeah, I mean, you brought up this interesting point about how the, the, the backdrop of the, the towns in Michigan play, you know, uh, an important role in setting, in setting the tone. What I do find interesting is they never name where they are. Like the idea is that it takes, at least that's my understanding. I might've missed something, but I think it takes place in a very amorphous time and amorphous place. You know, they have um, conflicting technologies, like the cars are all from different places. You know, they'll have like uh, e-readers from like the early nineties or eighties. And then, you know, everybody is still going to like films and the films are like from the fifties or forties. Uh, so like, it's supposed to be out of time. And that is something that filming around Michigan can provide because it is at the same time, you know, it has rural areas, modern, city, uh, modern urban areas, you know, suburban areas, and then also, um, but also experiences like uh, right the, at the forefront of like economic depression too. So like within Detroit, even you can see these like, signs of this amazing economic revival and then like a few blocks over it's just almost a post-apocalyptic wasteland in some respects that might be going too far but you know that's still very much depressed or at least looks depressed yeah no i would i would agree with that i um i th it's interesting because it's not exactly um i wouldn't say that this is like a, a linear path that the film goes down but at different points in the movie kind of where they are at um, geographically, like within Metro Detroit and in even some instances kind of out on the west side of the state, it it matches up almost exactly kind of what the characters are going through. So, you know, near the end of the movie, not to spoil anything, 
that's kind of when they're in the heart of Detroit. I think some of the exteriors were in Detroit, and then some of them I want to say, like the the pool scene at the end was, I want to say somewhere in like Clawson or something like that. Like, uh, was were they in? And I, I thought I saw some like Ann Arbor or something around there, but I might be just mixing up my old <laughs> no yeah theaters. they um i know they're in redford at one point for um for the kind of revival movie to your point but um i just mean that you know kind of as they descend into hell if you were if you will you know like um as the characters kind of realize that there's they're kind of trapped that's when they end up in kind of these more rundown areas so the location kind of matches what the characters are going through and what they're feeling at certain times i mentioned the 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 west side of the state when they go um kind of like by by the lake and are trying to um escape this this force this entity that's following them you know it's kind of what a lot of michiganders do to escape the uh the, the mundane aspects of life, you know, people talk about going up north or going to Lake Michigan or any other of the, the Great Lakes. Usually it's Lake Michigan in my circles, but it's kind of meant to be this like mm-hmm. escapist fantasy. And that's exactly what the characters are seeking at that point in the movie. So I just really kind of like how um, the movie uses the location, even though to your point, it's not ever specified. Like we know it's Michigan and the Metro Detroit area. And I like that. Um, it plays a character uh, more and more like the, the more movies that I see, the older that I get, I really like when character, when location is a character in movies, as opposed to just, you know, Oh, we shot it. Like everything nowadays seems to be shot in Georgia because of the tax incentives there. And it's like, it doesn't add, yeah. I mean, the Avengers movies were shot, in Atlanta and it's like most of it's green screen. And I, so I, I find myself appreciating movies that actually use their locations to enhance the story as opposed to it just being like a budgetary thing. So. Yeah. It's, it's a good example of kind of smart filmmaking of if you don't have a lot of money, you make where you are work. So if you can't drive somewhere, then like, okay, we'll use Detroit because that's, and we'll use Michigan because that's where we are right now. And we'll try and figure out like, what are the best locations to use within within driving exactly. distance of where we are. So, you know, something that I, I did find interesting, and I'm going to reveal, I guess, my feelings about the movie. So in general, <laughs> I don't like this movie. In in general, and I think, and I, I haven't been able to separate, separate out it's, if it's because I just don't find the movie that, interesting or if it's because I find it so unsettling that I don't enjoy watching it. And I think it might be competing with both, you know, so, or or both like competing feelings, you know, I find the message it's trying to send, or at least I think it's trying to send as relatively mundane, like something that's been kind of said before in multiple different ways about, you know, the inescapability of death and living with your choices and and you know regret and becoming a adult uh all that has been said uh, in different formats without um being so slow at times i guess but at the same time i when i saw when i first saw this it did stick with me so like i found it very unsettling the idea of this malevolent force that is constantly after you and only to kill you and then move on you know, to kill the next person. Yeah. And, um, 
yeah, I see. I think for all for the reasons that you're listing so far that you didn't like it are the reasons that I do like it because I mean, like I remember when it came out, it was one of the the few movies that like Quentin Tarantino was vocal about and how he didn't his his criticism of it was that um, it didn't it didn't stick to its own rules and I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but he started kind of getting like way into the weeds on it. Like what if you took an airplane or what if you took yeah. a boat and like went to another continent? Could this thing follow you because all it seems to do is walk and you know, it kind of I was like, well, I just kinda much to your point about it being this, you know, timeless, unspecific um type thing, I just look at it as that kind of like you know, a snapshot of this idea that's being explored. And I don't know that I, you know, fully agree with everything that the movie does. I don't know necessarily what it's trying to say about like, you know, sex in horror movies, sexual politics, what it means. Like, is it trying to, you know, say that you're, you're definitely damned if you have, um, if you have sex, is it trying to say that like, um, you know, that no, it, it's the opposite of that like some of that stuff I, I you know i i kind of shy away from i i more appreciate and, the style and the the overall mm-hmm. mood and atmosphere and to your point like what it leaves you with which is like this feeling of being unsettled like the whole movie is shot with these very wide master shots and you start getting used to it and noticing why um david robert mitchell the director is doing that because in certain scenes you notice that there are a bunch of people around in the background and any one of those people could be the thing that is following um the main character so as the movie progresses you start learning not to trust those master shots because you know that something could be lurking Mm -hmm. in the background and maybe that thing um that you think is just you know a normal person and i'm going back to you know when they're on the lake and you see what looks like their friend walking up, but then you realize that that friend is also with them on the lake, you know, then you start saying like, Oh shit, like that's not what I thought it was. So I like that, you know, those style elements and um, how it kind of enhances the overall mood and story of, of the movie. There are those elements that are, that are there. I think that though, it sometimes veers too much into trying to be shocking, you know, like, what is the point of this monster becoming people's parents and like, like look like, and, and over sexualizing, you know, their parents or when they're killing them, you know, looking like their parents, like it seems really weird and is only there to make the audience uncomfortable. There's no explanation or logic within the movie about why that would happen. And then, you know, you can hear the writer or director just saying like, yeah, but it's a, uh, unstoppable killing monster like its logic isn't our logic and it's like yeah well that's a that's a cheat yeah. that's a cheat writer <laughs> like you know that whole and, and I'm, I'm I know the bad criticism of putting words in the in the director or author's mouth so I will say they haven't you know said this but it's kind of my feeling about why these things are in there is just to be kind of gratuitous and shocking without any kind of larger point behind them and for a movie that is ostensibly trying to bridge that horror, horror art gap, uh, if you if you will, like the trying to be trying to have a point while still being um, unsettling and, and horrific, not thinking through those things is a sign 
that you're not as interested in the art aspect, or at least not interested in the story as art. You're more interested in the visuals as art, which is fine, but is for me a knock against, you know, the overall tone and, and, and flow yeah, of the I mean, movie. It's, I guess it's for this specific movie, it comes down to, you know, like a question of, um, I, I guess you could say the same for any movie of what works and what doesn't. But in this case, kind of, again, the stuff that you're arguing, like I, I agree with, with your take on it, but for like, for some reason with this movie, it all just works for me. Like even, you know, you, you could complain about the ending and how, um, you know, like it doesn't make sense that suddenly they're able to, to supposedly shoot and kill this thing um, in the pool, but then you're kind of left at the end of it wondering if that actually worked. Like there are some story elements that I grant you, you know, don't necessarily add up and that, you know, again, the, the, the direction, the style, the art of the movie kind of takes more of a, of a focus than um, having everything kind of pay off in a story format. But I think that in this particular instance, the there's enough there in with the other elements of the movie. Um, I'm thinking specifically of the score um, by disaster piece, which is, you know, like something that I still, um, I have on uh, like my Apple music and it, you know, anytime I put it on shuffle, sometimes I'll get, you know, some of the, the, the music from this movie. And, you know, it's just, it's fun to listen to it. It kind of adds to that, um, otherworldly out of time element of the movie that I like a lot. Um, it, it has a very kind of eighties horror movie vibe, but again, it's, it's not period specific. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I think this one for me is kind of the perfect blending of, you know, going back to the location and kind of the Michigan aspect of it. I think it really kind of uses Michigan in an interesting way. Um, both its beauty and its darkness, because I think, you know, as we get into, you know, future installments of this podcast, we'll find that a lot of movies, if it's going to be in Detroit, it's like meant to be this, you know, like gritty crime ridden, you know, filth of a place kind of thing, giving it, you know, giving people that kind of mean world view of, uh, of Detroit. Whereas this, <laughs> I think like there's elements of that in it, but again, it all kind of enhances, um, what the characters are going through at the time. And I mean, a lot of this movie for me is just like beautiful to look at. And you don't, at least I don't, I don't often hear that when it comes to like, oh, this movie was shot in Detroit or set in Detroit or all this stuff. Like they, they really kind of make it look darker than it is. And I think it follows, manages to just use it for me, at least in all the right ways. Um, and I like that about it. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate like the the visual aspects of it i remember being very kind of uh taken taken in by those visuals and the way that the the slow pace is broken up by very quick you know bursts of of speed and and violence in in some respects and that kind of contributes to that tension cuz you're not sure when that's going to happen again you know not not to agree with quentin tarantino because <laughs> that's gross it is that same kind of internal logic. Like if this thing can move that fast at some points, why isn't it always doing that? Like, why is it just walking? Why isn't it running towards yeah. these people? You know, but you know, you can overanalyze a movie too. And I don't want to go down that road. I do to talk about the that pool scene, that kind of ending scene, like my, my take on it wasn't that the gunshot even worked. It was just that that was like a stopping 
like it paused it or something because especially like when you combine that with kind of the ending where the kind of two main characters i guess are walking away from uh like, like kind of walking down the sidewalk holding hands just in a very like kind of furtive manner and kind of looking around um very like uncomfortable uh the whole time you kind of get the impression that they're still expecting that that thing to come back and i did really like that like the the idea of this as a force that can't be stopped you know like they're like hey we'll come up with this great plan and then it just yeah. immediately fails and like doesn't work at all like you can't stop this kind of this force in some ways it reminded me of uh yeah. no country for old men where um the Harvey Javier Bardem character um, is pursuing uh, Llewellyn, who, Josh why Brolin. can't I remember his name? He's like significant. Yeah, Josh Brolin. And like, they go to one scene where, you know, he's gonna, you know, hole up with the money and then uh, take off. And then they just cut to <laughs> and he's already dead. Like, they're, 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 and it's a very much a, a kind of, connection of you know he is not a person he is a force and you cannot escape or stop him (laughs) like he is going to capture you and you are going to die and this is kind of doing that but with a actual monster yeah and i i guess again it's i like the yeah you might not realize it when you when you first see the movie but definitely you know upon rewatching it i like that it's a movie where you just, you kind of know like they're doomed. Like there's no getting out of this. And I, the ending for me anyways, kind of gives that impression, like the way the camera, um, you know, arguably becomes the thing that's following them. And then it just kind of pushes in right and cuts right at the perfect moment where you think like, okay, if there is something following them, this is where it's going to get them. And it cuts right before giving you that moment to leave it kind of, on an ambiguous ending, but I like that it's essentially like the, yeah, there's no getting out of this. There is this unstoppable force. And that's why I think I, I don't like, I don't need all of the quote unquote rules that uh, David Robert Mitchell establishes to necessarily pay off. Like, again, I just kind of look at it as like, you know, this could be like an ongoing thing in like a series of movies. And this is just like one snapshot of like this entity stalking this particular group of people. And then like, once it's finished, it moves on to the next group. And I like that. It's just, it, it has very much that, that feel to it, that it's just this kind of standalone thing um, meant to make you ask questions and ponder it. And, you know, again, to your point, leave it, leave you unsettled um i like that and you know again it's just the i think um his style in this particular movie is just so unique um i like you know again kind of the wide master shots but i also like that kind of you know the camera's locked down in one position but it's it's pivoting slowly around the room to where you know like every time it comes back, you're wondering, like, are we going to see a thing or a person, you know, behind the main character um, suddenly stalking them? It really, it forces you to pay attention, um, which is, you know, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of movies that I enjoy that are kind of, you know, that would be quote unquote, like mindless entertainment. So I, I feel like it does a good job of 
really making you, you know, pay attention to what's going on, even if you don't agree with everything, even if you have problems with it. I think the whole point of it is just to kind of do something slightly different with the horror tropes that we have come to know. And um, yeah, I just, I, I still, when I go back and revisit this movie, like it, I, I still enjoy it. I get something new out of it each time. And um, yeah, I think it, I think good job. With that. <laughs> uh, so one, you notice whenever you talk about directors, you use their full name, like they're, like they're presidential assassins. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I could say just Mitchell if you want, but I don't, I don't feel like I know him. So I feel like he can only be David Robert Mitchell. So it's Mr. Mitchell, Mr. Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but also, I don't know, I guess it is like this kind of difference in what I enjoy from uh, filmmakers is is more someone who has a specific message and then is executing that message. And you can decide whether you agree or disagree. Like these kinds of films that are more ruminations on a theme, um, you know, I'm probably going to sound like a well i mean i guess an idiot who like doesn't appreciate you know thoughtful filmmaking and so i don't want to i don't want to say that you know it's not that i don't understand the desire and need to have you know things that are left at a left at a coda or left at you know left without resolving but i just find it more interesting if you ha- are making an argument and i can think think through your argument and see if if I agree or disagree and what I would change with it in order to make it more satisfying like here you can't resolve anything so you can't like you can just argue endlessly and ever since the internet I don't want to argue endlessly with people anymore <laughs> uh you know, I'm, I'm too old. Like, well, I guess the internet's not true, but basically since the second Star Wars came out, I'm kind of done arguing with people about things. <laughs> just, just made me, it, it, I just gave up. It broke me. It like broke me. Wait, are you, second reaction Star Wars to Last Jedi or like the actual, like Empire Strikes, but like which? No, no, the, the Last Jedi. Like okay. just everyone's goddamn takes and reactions to it. I'm just like, it's a fucking movie who gives a shit. God damn it. Like, ugh. Oh, this billion dollar franchise didn't take me into consideration. It's like, just shut up, you whiny little baby. Ugh. Why are we, why can't believe I ever talked about Star Wars for more than five minutes in my entire life? Like, that's how much I didn't, I, I just, I don't care anymore. I don't, I don't want to derail things. Who are fans uh, of that thing. But yeah. anyway, it follows. What? <laughs> I know. I was just going to say, I don't want to derail things too much, but I think it's it's worth mentioning uh, the toxic fandom. Um, there is something a friend of mine shared like a few months ago of like people openly attacking um, Frank Oz, you know, who plays Yoda, openly yeah. attacking him on Twitter, saying that, he doesn't know anything about Yoda. All he did was voice Yoda for, you know, however long during the production. And it's the fans who have made Yoda what he is. And like, they know his history, but, and basically just telling the guy who like, you know, created and played Yoda that he doesn't know shit about his own character, which yeah, it's just like, this is what, this is what discourse in air quotes has become. It's, 
you know, we don't, we're not, we don't have to get into a whole thing, especially on a movie about a, uh, a, a quiet, somber film about the inevitability of death, but, um, and, and living with your, with your own decisions. Yeah, that tweet, I'll bring it back to It Follows. That tweet made me feel much like the characters in this movie. Like there was just no escape from, you know, <laughs> death. Yeah. I, I will say like being a fan of something doesn't entitle you to, to any say into how it's developed, you know? Yeah. You may think it does because you care about it and you pay money for it. But if you stop liking it because they go in a different direction, that's fine. Stop paying money for it. Like, it's almost as like Star Wars isn't good enough to get worried as much about it. You know, <laughs> like, I know, like, I love Star Wars, people love Star Wars, but like, it's at the end of the day, magic wizards with light swords fighting each other in lava pits. And that's basically what happens. And let's stop pretending it's something like crazy that you can't find somewhere else. You know, yeah. there's a thousand stories that are Star Wars told you know, decades before Star Wars came out and decades after Star Wars came out. I can't believe this fucking thing made me talk about Star Wars and it's my goddamn fault. Nobody's bringing it up. I'm bringing it up. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. I'm yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll back to It Follows. I do, I do want to mention, you know, again, trying to emphasize the, um, the Michigan you know, kind of tie-ins to the movie. That I, I will fully admit there's a lot of nostalgia uh, in this movie, you know, whether people are aware of it or not. And for me specifically, like, you know, again, it's not period specific, but there is kind of like maybe a late 80s, early 90s feel to some of like the interior of the homes and um, the interior of the, the main character's house, like very much reminded me of like you know my my house uh, that I first grew up in out in Sterling Heights, which is also where the um, neighborhood and the uh, the house that they they shoot all the stuff like all of that was shot actually in Sterling Heights, very near to where I grew up. So again, I you know maybe have my own bias towards enjoying this movie on that level, but mm -hmm. there are little kind of things that are that are very Michigan specific. Like at one point on the TV when uh, I think the mother is asleep or passed out. Um, you can hear the father and son uh, commercial playing in the background. I think you can see like part of it very briefly, but you know, the we're father and son, give us a call. You can hear that going on. And that again- okay, I have no idea what you're talking about, but- Yeah, okay. no, that was that was very much- What uh, is that commercial? It's it's for father and son. They're like, uh, um, they, they go in and they, they fix not, necessarily houses but they're you know it's, it's a it's a company or is it just the concept of fathers and sons no it's it's a company it's okay a, it's I, I feel so i feel so out of the loop like i'm not really like i'm, I'm not really from the state up, like i grew up with those those commercials and i like like again that's a very like because i won't say his full name mitchell is uh <laughs> he's a little bit older who are you talking about what is, yeah. who's this mitchell you brought up all this yeah he's uh he's a little bit older than us but um you know roughly like we're all kind of you know around if we can use that term loosely around the same age and so like it's clear that he kind of grew up with that that stuff too um and so i like those little kind of touches of michigan to 
you know, again, even though it's never specifically stated in the film, um, you, you kind of know like that, that kind of Michigan quality to it. Little mm-hmm. things like that kind of add to the world. I do think at one point they are talking about um, like one of the characters said, like they were never allowed to go like South of eight mile. And I think that that's like kind of a, a tip that like, you know, that they're, they're talking about Detroit, but I don't it's also a tip that their parents are kind of racist. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I don't think that there's any other like specified um, locales that I can, mm-hmm. that I can remember in the movie, but yeah, I, it's again, those little things that like, obviously you've got the location, but you've also got these kind of maybe not quintessential, but um, you know, nostalgic um, mm-hmm. moments that, that make you think like, Oh yeah. Like I remember this, this was a very Michigan specific thing that we grew up with and um i like those kind of you know that attention to detail so i think that's a that's a good place to end end this this discussion of it follows um mainly because i don't have anything else to say about it and uh that's when i kind of lose interest um, <laughs> he's on about star wars just yeah you know. let's just let's get back to fucking Django fett and the goddamn no just kidding <laughs> I never I'm sure, hear I'm sure if you really want to talk about Star Wars, we could find some sort like, you know, uh, a line <laughs> producer or the best boy who's from Michigan who worked on one of the Star Wars movies. I don't, I d- Matt, I don't want to talk about Star Wars. I just want to talk about not wanting to talk about Star Wars. I feel like there's a subconscious element that you're not aware of right now. Of I don't know. It took up so, it took up so much of my life. It's hard not to <laughs> revert back to old patterns. As yeah, I mean, even your say. cat is getting upset at you. Yeah, well, you know, he loves Star Wars, so yeah. Well, I mean, he's allowed to have his opinion. Yeah, well, he's an idiot, but um, but uh, so just in general, let's let's wrap this up with something that isn't this movie. Um, what have you been? Uh, what have you been watching or reading or or doing uh, in the past? Uh, let's say, couple weeks. I've been watching. Well, fitting for this podcast, I don't know if you've seen it on CNN. They've been doing it's like one of their original series produced by Tom Hanks, the the movies, and so they're going decade by decade. What you, wait, what, Matt? What are you watching? This thing that was made for seventy year olds? What do yeah, you? Yeah, pretty much. No, actually, that, I that nice young man, Tom Hanks, tells us about the movies. Yeah, no, it's uh, he's he's one of many people interviewed in it, but it's uh, it's kind. Of, I think it's through like they have a lot of the here. Here's me being an old man again. I watch a lot of Turner Classic movies. They have sure. a lot of the Turner Classic movies folks involved in this uh, this docu series, but um, yeah, the it, they go decade by decade discussing kind of each episode is two hours long. Um, oh my god <laughs> yeah but how I, many you know, episodes are there well they're i don't know how many exactly maybe close to 10 because they're the last episode the last episode they're doing the 30s through the 50s as one kind of big episode those sons of bitches yeah how so dare they, they combine two decades three yeah. Well, no, 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 but they did it in a really weird order. So the way that they're doing it is they did the 80s as episode one, the 90s as episode two, the 2000s. Did they do, so then they did prequels? Yeah. They intro to the movies. Yeah. So the, so episode three was, you know, the 2000s to present. And then they went back to the seventies, the 
this week was supposed to be the 60s, but it was uh, preempted uh, until next week. And then they're ending it with what they call the golden age, which is the 30s through the 50s. So I really feel like it was meant to be like 30s through the 50s and go like in order of decade. But for some reason, they decided to do it uh, that way, so, starting with the 80s. But at any rate, it is actually, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they omit because they can't possibly get to every single movie that came out in a decade. But it is interesting to hear kind of the tidbits about certain movies, like the big ones that we remember and kind of some of the, the smaller hits. It's been fun to watch that. Um, and then actually, uh, I just started, I caught up on all the episodes of the new series from uh, the New York Times um, called The Weekly, which is, you know, if you listen to podcasts and you listen to The Daily, this is kind of, you know, another kind of version of that. But I actually... I have kind of mixed feelings about the daily and the weekly. I thought it is some heavy and depressing stuff, but honestly, it's like, it's, it might be one of the best like docu-series type shows that I've seen. Um, they focus on kind of a major story each week and focus on a particular journalist telling that story. Um, like they did, a, I, I believe this was also like, um, something that was covered on the daily, but um, they did an episode about New York city cab drivers and the myth of this um, like coveted medallion that there's only a certain number in production. And basically what New York city cab drivers have been told is that if you get, if you get this medallion and have it, you know, on your car, it's kind of the key to all your riches. Like you'll never have to worry about anything again. And that's kind of, you know, the quote unquote American dream that they've been sold. But in actuality, there's like, a, you know, like a 72 year old cab driver who's supposed to be retired, but he's working like more than 12 hours every single day driving a cab to try and pay off the, you know, $600,000 loan that he took out to get this medallion to, you know, hope you know, what he thought would set him on the right path. Um, and so it's stories like that. Um, you know, there's been eight episodes so far. The most recent one talked about, you know, kind of the pros and cons of the Green New Deal. And yeah, there's just, it's it's very interesting to me. And um, I thought it was kind of like a really captivating series. And I would highly recommend it for anyone who's just kind of interested in seeing kind of a new format for doing a TV show. I uh, I really enjoy it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, to, to answer the last bit of your question, the uh, book that I'm currently reading was uh, is last year's National Book Award winner. It's um, The Friend by Sigrid Nunez. It's, a, it's about a woman who inherits a great Dane after um, a close friend of hers uh, commits suicide. And it's kind of a, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like a depressing read, but it's, it's a meditation on grief, but it's also about, you know, it's called The Friend. It's about this friendship that this kind of loner person forms with um a great dane that she kind of never expected to have um that kind of friendship with so it's i've enjoyed it because of you know the dog aspect of it so uh, sure yeah. i mean dogs are great can i yeah. can i ask you this and, and i mean this in all seriousness yeah are you the whitest person alive like yeah, probably you're you're like yeah you know why don't you check out this uh show from the new york times that's based on a podcast from the new york times <laughs> also here's a book about a dog <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, sure, I'll go with that. Hanging out with her. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, oh, goodness. Let, let me let me ask you what what movies, TV shows, and or books have you been consuming in the last? Uh, yeah. I mean, if it is possible to be doing the exact opposite of what you're doing while still being super lame, then uh, I guess that's what I'm doing. Well, thank um, you. So, <laughs> um, so I recently got pretty into the reboot of Ducktales, um, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. So one, um, it's more in the vein of things like uh, Gravity Falls than it is the original DuckTales. So it's, it's got more interesting stories, more interesting characters. Um, more realistic and, DuckTales. Yeah, the, the tales of those ducks, much more finely penned. Actually, they're probably less realistic. It's more cartoony. <laughs> um, it's more stylized, let's say. But like the voice cast is amazing. Like every single person on it, um, is somebody that I really like. So like David Tennant's in it, uh, Ben Schwartz, Bobby Moynihan, Danny Pudi, Kate McCucci. Like the guest stars are like Paul F. Tompkins and Catherine Tate and, you know, several other just kind of really cool people. Um, so I always enjoy like their interactions. Um, and it's just like a fun, it's a fun show that isn't too too much for kids, but still like, you you can relax and like it's just just kind of fills you with joy similar to uh the paddington movies in that way i kind of put it in like a a, a tangentially related to those i still have not seen paddington or the uh the much heralded uh paddington 2 and everyone i've talked to says that yes it's as good as you know you've read people say. i i think it's it's delightful it's just a delightful show uh or or sorry delightful movie both of them that i think you know are just really enjoyable to watch they they can be sad at times but it, in a way that uh, resolves to be hopeful um and is still like kind of shows you the how to react to negative situations in some respects, so it's it's kind of I don't know the best the best way I can describe it is delightful. The last one, Paddington Two, ends with Hugh Grant doing a big musical number, so that's fun. Well, there you go. Um, so yeah, so I've been I've been doing that. Um, I started reading. It's been a, I, I, I I got through a, a good chunk of it, and then I kind of slowed down. Um, but I started reading Sapiens, which is, you know, a, it's called a brief history of the human race, basically, or of humankind, something, uh, something like that. And it kind of talks about, you know, uh, theorizes interactions between uh, humans and other um, human species. So Neanderthals and um, I think Australopithecus africanus maybe is one of them. But basically, you know, at, at any given point in several thousand years ago, there were as many as five human species on the planet Earth. So it's wondering, you know, it's postulating why did Homo sapiens uh, live and these others die out. One of the postulations is that we killed everybody. <laughs> so Fair there's point. that. And, and that's been pretty interesting, I think, too. It can be very depressing at times. Um, so I've been a little bit avoiding that uh, in favor of DuckTales. <laughs> I could see why it's kind yeah. of polar opposites of the spectrum. Yeah, basically I watched, uh, and I'll kind of end it here, but I watched, um, long shot. Do you remember that movie with Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron? 
Oh like, yeah, or at least there whatever. Was it was it actually good? I heard kind of mixed things about. Um, it. well, Lauren really liked it. I thought it was too long and not funny enough. Like I really was hoping it'd be funnier, but I appreciated some some aspects of it. And you know, it's always hard to do thoughtful romantic comedies. I think, and that's what I think it was trying to do. Stumbled a bit at times. Yeah, and uh, you know, not to go on a huge like rant about this or anything, but I've, you know, there's been some things in recent years about like how the kind of state of like comedies it's become more like. In one sense, you could think it's it's a good thing, and another, you could see kind of how it, at least for me, like it can become like annoying, but you know, going back to like starting with like Bridesmaids, um, which I still enjoy that movie a lot. Like, but I think yeah. after that you started seeing a lot of movies, like not necessarily only Melissa McCarthy, but you know, movies where it was about like bits that the comedian at the center of it would do as opposed mm-hmm. to actually being like connected scenes. Like it was all about letting them see? riff on certain things. And I don't know if Longshot did that, but I know that's kind of come up with some of, like Seth Rogen's movies. Like I've liked a lot of them. um, I mean, I mean, I would, I guess anybody who's making that argument that that's a new thing, I would tell them to watch any Richard Pryor or Eddie Murphy movie and tell me that that isn't just based on watching those guys do whatever they want. Well, Um, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, as you said, I'm, I'm the whitest person in the world. So I (laughs) I don't even know who you're talking about. I can see that. I can see that point because like I do notice a problem with uh, newer comedies in that it is about the joke and not about the story. So like when, you know, Judd Apatow will just set up the camera and like let Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen riff for, or Jonah Hill or whoever riff for like 20 or 30 minutes instead of like trying to craft this joke, you know, um, and and get the best take of that thing. I can I can see where people have a problem with it, and it kind of leads to a very looser structure. I don't know. I don't know if this is forty or what was the Adam Sandler one? Funny People uh, yeah. is the best example of that, where it's very meandering and hard to define. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it's plots going at the same like, time. I've noticed it. It sounds like I'm going to be like like harping on Melissa McCarthy. I'm not. I actually really love Melissa McCarthy a lot, but. Um, like it seems to be like the Paul Feig movies really kind of do that to the extreme, like uh, hers and um, Sandra Bullock's movie. Um, uh, is it, is it the heat? Which where yeah, they're the like, yeah. yeah, like that one. And then I actually like, even though I'm kind of arguing against this, I, uh, I really liked spy, but yeah. spy, spy very much is all about like, you know, like, when, especially when Melissa McCarthy's just going off and hurling insults at various scenes in the movie. Like mm-hmm. they're very funny, but like that's kind of an example to me of kind of where comedies have been headed. And um, yeah, like I, like I said, I don't know. I, I guess I disagree that that's a new thing. And I think it's just a style of comedy where it's based around a performer rather than based around a story. And that's just something that happens sometimes. Fair point. Um, you know, you could make, uh, you know, like from the seventies, you could look at the jerk, which is barely a story. It's just essentially a series of set pieces of Steve Martin being funny in it. 
you know, yeah. same with like, if you want to go to another example, like the first Muppet movie is basically just a series of set pieces where comedy happens. And then with a vague story kind of of them going to Hollywood over <laughs> it. Um, so I don't know if that's a new thing, but I, I would say, I think the reliance on the performer to make a joke in the moment rather than figuring out how to how to be funny uh, in the and through rehearsal and and scripting is might be a, a trend I'm, I'm not sure I like that much you know if you look at the hangover it's still a pretty funny movie that it has some improv in it but has a a consistent narrative and all the performers in there are acting consistent to their characters they're not trying to improv away from their character or only be fit into a persona and have the movie fit that persona around them rather than um, act in the moment of this story. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would, uh, I would, I kind of always come back to, especially like the more I see it, which, you know, usually like I would say over the last few years, like I've seen, I I go back and rewatch Ghostbusters, uh, like probably once a year, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But every time, like I like that's a movie that like I appreciate more and more. Yeah, like <laughs> some of the stuff that Bill Murray's doing in that movie. Like I feel like if anyone else was playing that, it would be, you know, it could very easily veer into being creepy. Mm-hmm. But he somehow manages to like kind of walk that fine line and make it just charming enough to where it works. But yeah, it's a movie where I think like all of the performers involved, like they have their own bits that they, they bring to the role and there's probably, you know, a lot of improv that was done on that movie, but it's still, it doesn't feel that way. It feels organic to, you know, the characters and it, mm-hmm. they somehow managed to do a good job of mixing, you know, comedy and, you know, some, some horror yeah. elements, uh, in that movie but yeah that's i kind of well i mean it's it's that same thing as like ghostbusters works as a movie even though if you watch it there aren't that many jokes in it like there's maybe nine jokes like things you would call jokes in that movie yeah um there's certainly like funny set pieces and reactions but you like nobody's like finding the go- like Ghostbusters consistently hilarious. But yeah. it still works as a movie, even if you're not laughing all the time. Because yeah. everybody's being consistent within it and it's following a storyline. Like the characters make jokes based on who they are as people and the situation they're in, not, hey, we're in a scene, we need to make jokes right now. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I still I still like Ghostbusters, uh, obviously, um, and I liked I liked the remake of Ghostbusters, even though it did veer more towards that. Let's riff on on this situation rather than be consistent characters, you know. But that's a it's a different style of comedy. I don't know if it's a newer style of comedy. Yeah, fair point. I th- I think the we can get into the reboot of ghostbusters sometime or not um that's, <laughs> another one, that's another one like star wars that drives me crazy but uh <laughs> i think it's i think it does suffer from being compared to this venerated movie that 
everybody loves, you know, if it had instead picked something else, like, and granted you could say maybe that movie wouldn't get made. So, you know, you can't pick something else, but if, you know, they were fighting interdimensional demons um, and they were a group of scientists studying that and trying to repair rifts and, uh, you know, adjusting it more. So it's like, maybe it doesn't take place in New York and, you know, things like that. It might have done better um, while still being essentially a similar idea or misogynist would have just been like, they're just trying to do ghostbusters and, and not talk about it. So, you know, maybe you can't win. Yeah, <laughs> there's no winning. We, we, we yeah. Anyway, it's been an hour, basically. It it's just like it follows. We're doomed. Yeah, that's. I guess we're all doomed. So that's yeah. good to know. It's good to know. It's good to admit. I brought it back. I brought it full circle. There we go. Just like that monster coming to eat us. Exactly. Um, so this is going to be the end of the podcast, um, and we'll we'll come back for another one. Uh, we decided we're going to do Escanaba in the Moonlight. Uh, which is a movie I haven't seen, but Maybe is probably the most Michigan movie that has ever been made. We'll find out. Yeah, I guess we will. I mean, it could turn out that it's set in Chicago, so I have no idea. But I was just amazed that you went with a with a Jeff Daniels movie, since I thought like I'd be the first one guilty of that. But you know, no. Yeah. I mean, I think we gotta we gotta knock it out soon and really ram it home. You know, our our golden boy, our golden boy Jeff Daniels, who basically rules Chelsea, Michigan with an iron fist. Exactly, um, yeah. Oh, if you if you enter there, you have to prove that you've watched and purchased Dumb and Dumber and The Purple Rose of Cairo, and you have to write a review about Dumb and Dumber 2, about how it's better than people say it is. <laughs> uh, but I think... I think that's going to wrap up this episode of the Michigan Film Vault. If you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe, do all that cool stuff um, on your favorite podcast app, whatever that may be, wherever you found this, you know, put it there. Um, And tell anybody you know, um, berate them until they uh, listen to it and then, you know, watch them the whole time to make sure they get the full experience. I mean, we're, we're the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Uh, are we though? Cause I feel like we're a gift that you put in the closet and forget about. Yeah. Uh, that might be more accurate. I was trying to go more of like a positive spin on it, but sure. Yeah. Well, stop doing that, Matt. Life right. is garbage as this, as it follows taught us. There we go. Okay. Uh, so, uh, this will, this will be the end. Uh, this is the end of the show. We'll see you back here next time. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. Thank you.